Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, everyone. I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Unit spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Lucy Letby, a 33-year-old nurse, has been found guilty of killing seven newborn babies and trying to kill more in a neonatal unit at a hospital in England, the Countess of Chester Hospital. This case is all anybody is talking about right now, and with good reason, because after a 10-month trial, she's been found guilty, and at this point, it's believed that she is Britain's most prolific child killer. Dad, this is a case that you alerted me to, and I've been listening to the BBC Daily News and just hearing what this has been like from the perspective of people who are not just parents, but also people on the hospital ward who tried to stop this from happening. Now, before we get into any more detail regarding the trial of Lucy Letby, as I said, Britain's most prolific serial killer at this point, Britain's most prolific child serial killer at this point, Dad, you were on the police force for many years, you were in general duties, you were in forensics, and you were a parent at the time. Were you ever involved in any cases around the uh, the deaths of children? And I'm aware, listeners, this is going to get pretty graphic, but given the nature of the case, it seems silly not to ask Dad what his perspective is as someone who may have been involved in cases regarding children. There's a real dichotomy here. So on one hand, we've got Lucy let be yeah. killing children babies Mm -hmm. and then it takes my mind back to an afternoon in sydney Uh, i was working out of mossman and it was hours away from christine giving birth to anne Mm -hmm. listeners may recall that subsequently or not subsequently prior to christine um, giving birth to Anne, uh, Christine had been kicked in the stomach mm. by the uh, escapee, kicked to the ground when she was eight months pregnant. And then at nine months, uh, as I said, within hours of her giving birth, I was about to finish my shift on a weekday afternoon at Mossman, mm. and a call came over the radio from VKG saying, that uh, there was a cot death 
in 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 Mossman. Yeah. And I literally begged um, the sergeant to sort of because you take it in turns. I mean, I know this is going to sound rather. I don't know how it's going to sound to the public, but I guess the fact of the matter is that going to a potential death of an infant, and and just follow me, run with me with this particular train of thought, Paul, because there is a very is. valid point yeah. to what I'm about to say. But I, I literally begged this particular sergeant. I said, look, uh, you know, Christine's about to, ha- you know, we're having our second child. Uh, we didn't know what sex it was going to be because well, I guess you didn't in those days. And he just sort of looked across at me in this sort of blank, sort of expressionless, sort of, you know, the way just the way he looked at me. And he just said, mate, he said, it's your turn because we used to take it in turns with cot deaths. Um, God, I know that sounds so fucked up. But- well, it's an unpleasant task. It's a very unpleasant task. And so the idea, I think, there obviously is to... You don't want to do consecutive, right? It's so traumatic. You want to try and share the load a little bit. Share the it load. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, I'll never forget. I mean, he just said it. He just said it. It's your turn. Now, when we rocked up to this house, uh, we go into this house. It was a really fucked up story. It's just depressing. We rocked up to this house. Uh, cot deaths, they cut through all strata of society. Yeah, this just happened to be one of the most exclusive suburbs in Sydney, and a, an incredibly beautiful waterfront home. We were the first police on the scene. There was a vacant New South Wales ambulance vehicle parked in the driveway, and we go inside. the door The front door was open. We've gone inside. The first thing I saw was a person that I now know to be or it became very apparent that this was the father and he was just sitting on a lounge with his head buried in his hands rocking back and forth sobbing the wife was sobbing one of the ambulance officers was standing ashen-faced sort of looking over to his partner and then looking at us and as we approached the baby the paramedic was doing CPR on the little baby. The baby was maybe six weeks old. And this is the part of the story that's so fucked up and very important to juxtapose with what I'm about to say as to Lucy Letby's case. That is that this particular paramedic would not stop his resuscitation. He would not stop. The baby was clearly, absolutely deceased. We literally, gently at first, I came up to the ambulance officer and I put my hands on his shoulders and I just sort of tried to comfort him and he completely lost it. And it was a terrible scene. We had the parents, we had his the ambulance officer's partner, who was just bewildered and it was just a really hellish situation. And eventually, through just kind of being calm and thoughtful and compassionate towards the ambulance officer, did he then eventually sort of pull back 
And the reason we start with this particular story, listeners, is that that's one extreme of trying to save a baby's life. The other extreme, which is what we're going to talk about, is a nurse in her mid to late 20s, because it happened six years ago, she was in a situation or a position of extreme power in these neonatal clinics in intensive care yeah the relationship between the nurse and the patient it's it's pretty well one on one yeah there would have been many many times when it was just the baby and lucy and i've thought about this for some time in fact Christine and I were walking up to the coffee shop this morning and I saw a mother carrying a baby. You know how they have it in a sling at at the front of their their body? Yeah. And I'm just staring at this gorgeous, cute, innocent, beautiful baby coming towards me. And immediately I then thought, shit, we're going to be doing a podcast on someone Mm. that killed, that murdered these babies and this particular story is horrific some of the babies that survived they some of them have permanent brain damage mm-hmm. learning difficulties with 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 some of the twins one twin survived one was murdered i went through all the sexes the male the female and there seems to be a there doesn't seem to be a particular leaning like a gender bias, yeah. It the, seems the, to be pretty interesting. So it's, it's across the board. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's we, what, one thing we do know about this particular case and this particular woman is that from when she was in high school, yeah. she always wanted to be a nurse, but yeah. more particularly, she wanted to look after very, very young children. Investigators with the uh, BBC had a chat with her best friend and classmate, like a colleague, Mm. who, yeah, backed that up and said basically she always wanted to be a nurse, she always wanted to work with kids. And I think it's partly because, and this was one of the assertions, this is not a defence, but it's just an interesting character quirk, is that she, and they use this phrase a lot in England, she was very poorly when she was growing up. So she was basically a very sick kid. I think potentially... She may have been very sick as a child, may have had a very rough time health-wise as a kid, mm. which 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 makes what she ended up doing so deeply baffling. Dad, did you ever deal with... I know, uh, obviously, a cot death is a deeply tragic thing. Did you ever encounter any crimes uh, inflicted upon children deliberately? Oh, <clears throat> yes, many times. Babies, um, particular Babies, I mean. Well, it's, it's... Paul, I'm afraid, it's it's not uncommon. Um, mainly in the family, within the family. And um, mainly, but not always, certainly not always, but mainly it is um, perpetrated by the male. And, you know, they, they, these babies report to hospitals and it's up to the hospital staff to note everything that happens from the moment the baby is brought in, the demeanour of the parents. And obviously, I mean, when, when a kid comes in with, you know, multiple breaks, broken bones, bruising, 
edema, all, all the most terrible injuries. And, and the parents say, oh, look, um, yeah, you know, the baby fell out of bed. Mm, no. And then, of course, it's up to the, the staff at the hospital, firstly, to administer first aid and medical treatment, but also to notify the police. Yeah. And because once the police are brought in, it becomes a very, very serious matter. And that's one of the big problems with this particular case. It was the yeah. Yeah. it was the reluctance of the hospital, which I know we'll get into, but you know, it's I, look what we're going to do is we're going to work through chronologically for you because a lot of you are sitting here going, this is a very, very big case. Rather than have you have to sit down and, you know, wade through a deluge of stories about uh, deceased uh, infants, which is deeply traumatic, we're going to try and kind of work through it as quickly as possible so that you don't have to kind of get through that. Uh, as I mentioned before, Dad, this all kicked off in 2015 mm. um, at the hospital I mentioned, and Lucy Libby was on duty. And the first murder, the murder of uh, the child who was referred to in the case files as Child A, uh, this was on the 8th of June in 2015, okay? Mm, yeah. So Lucy Lippi gets on to duty at the neonatal ward and within 90 minutes of coming on duty, the child A is dead. Mm. And child A was murdered because uh, she injected air into their bloodstream, yep. which I believe creates some sort of air bubble. And basically, it's, it's a pretty interesting way of... Because the two main ways she used to actually murder these children, the two main ways was injecting oxygen into the bloodstream and using insulin. Now, one of the interesting things about insulin is that the body does naturally create insulin in reaction to things. You know, this is how it works. You you ingest sugars and whatnot. Your body creates insulin as a, as a result. And when they ended up going back and testing these children, they found that actually there was nothing in the bloodstream that would have triggered the, the creation of insulin, which means mm. that the insulin was injected, right? Mm. Basically, it's an overdose, but we'll get to that later. So, so according to witness statements, and I'll read this, this is from one of the doctors who was involved, uh, Dr. Ogden. Child A showed no signs of any problems throughout the day. He was handling well. I had no concerns at all for him or his twin sister, right? Now, if we go to the chronology, child A was six weeks premature. Child A was uh, part of a set of twins, child B, and they were both described as healthy. They handed over to Lepi for the night shift, right? Mm. 30 minutes after Lepi gets onto the shift, uh, child A's health starts to go downhill very rapidly. 90 minutes later, as I mentioned, within 90 minutes of Lepi coming on shift, the child is dead from an embolism. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. That was on the 8th of June. So 28 hours, roughly 28 hours after child A is dead, um, child B also gets injected uh, with oxygen and she's resuscitated. She survives. Um, and so that's an attempted murder. Mm. It's pretty insane that this starts with the attempted murder of twins uh, in a neonatal ward. But that this all takes place between the 8th and the 11th of June in uh, 2015. Mm. Yeah, But Paul, you, you've made an assumption and re- quite... Rightly so, but you've yeah. said that when this started. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to um, to throw into the mix that, I mean, do we really know that that was the first? If you've been following the news around this, police are now investigating the possibility that Lucy at some of the hospitals Other. she was training at, Correct. yes, yeah. uh, she, she may have been doing this for uh, quite a bit longer. Um, yes. But now, we, we, look, yeah. <clears throat> no, you're right, Paul. Um, 
it's very important to consider the environment. Uh, it's a stressful environment. The relationship, as I said, between nurse and the patient, mm-hmm. in this case, newborn babies, it's very intimate. And Lucy had, because it comes out later, that she had the most extraordinary relationships with some of the parents. And it, it was yeah. very difficult for the parents mm. to believe that this particular person, which, which brings us back to something very interesting. They, the, the media use an expression that I find, because it's probably because of the podcasts we've been doing over the last five years, yeah. which is a long time. We've covered so much material. It's just mind-boggling. And really, we're only scratching the surface. And, you know, it's when the media uses the expression that Lucy Letby just looked like the girl next door. To mm-hmm. me, that is an absolutely inane and stupid, ridiculous thing to say. Because, I mean, what does it mean? It, does I it think con- what they're trying to... Well, we've looked through... I mean, Tegan and I went onto uh, Facebook and, uh, you know, we kind of trolled the internet and there's a litany of photos out there of Lucy Leppi and we will get back to the uh, chronology of the case in a second, folks. But there's a litany of photos on social media that you can find online of Lucy just out with friends looking normal. And I think what they're trying to say is, and this does come into play actually, Dad, later on, um, she does not look or present or act like somebody who would become the uh, most prolific child killer in in British history. She does not look like that. It is the the face of it. When you think about the face of a murderer, it's not that we think of somebody with an eye patch and a fucking hook, but it's the normalcy. It's the fact that the diary that they found in her house next to a scrawled note of raving, just the most lunatic stuff. I mean... Basically, an admission of guilt. Next to it, there's a cutesy diary with a cartoon dog on the front covered in pink balloons and whatnot. I mean, she was, if you look at the things she was watching and doing and the way her apartment was decorated, she presents as so normal as to almost be Bridget Jones level of basic. It doesn't make fucking sense. And what happens is, Dad, cinema has taught us that when you enter the lair of a serial killer, you find pages from the Old Testament but half burnt down candles, coolers full of human heads, right? And now I think what is useful as an exercise here is that evil doesn't look the way you think it does. And I think mm. that's an interesting exercise. It's, the, it's that, like you said, it's that dichotomy that really makes people think. But I just want to zip back to the 8th of June, 2015, okay? Mm. So Letby has just murdered baby A, right? The mm. next day she begins texting colleagues, right? Mm. Um she begins texting colleagues and uh, she sends two texts, which I'm going to read right now. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And that will be in reference to dealing with the death of a baby on the ward. And just a big shock for us all hard coming in tonight and seeing the parents XX. Obviously the parents she's referring to are the parents of baby B as well. And uh, baby B was, there was, you know, there was, there was an attempted murder there. So on the 9th of June, uh, the day after the murder of baby A, she texts, um, one of the nurses, and she says, I just don't know how I'm going to feel seeing parents. Dad was on the floor crying, saying, please don't take our baby away when I took him to the mortuary. It's just heartbreaking. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P. Uh, that's obviously relevant, Dad, because you described the paramedic refusing to leave the scene of a of a neonatal death. But then, three days after the murder of Baby A, mm. she texts the, the the person managing the unit where all the babies are kept, the neonatal unit, right? And she says that she wants more shifts. And she says, and I quote, from a confidence point of view, I need to take an ITU baby soon. X. I think the rationale there, and you know, you could talk to her any shrink and they would say, look, there is merit to wanting to get back on the horse after Correct. a trauma. Yeah. Because if you leave it too long, it becomes a thing. Yep. So what the person running the ward would have probably done is go, that's fucking commendable. Mm. That's that's really commendable, right? Yeah. We now know, Paul, that what she's actually mm. saying yep. is give me another baby so I can kill another baby. Yep. It's so... But you can't... It's not fair... For us to look back, is it, and sort of go, yes, well, I mean, we we can say that we understand now, but yeah. you certainly can't apportion blame. No, no there, the, and the I know blame you're not. will happen. The blame will happen later, and Correct. it will be directed at different people. But if we cut forward to so this so this starts on eighth of June, twenty fifteen. Jump forward to the fourteenth of June, mm. twenty fifteen. Okay, child C is a seven-week preemie. I was a premature baby as well. You were, yep. Um, yep. So, child C, premature, weighs about 800 grams, but is apparently quite healthy. And let be a spotted standing over, and I quote, his monitor as his alarm is sounded despite not being his designated nurse. He dies as a result of air being injected into his stomach. That's the same MO. But something mm. I want to read you here, Dad. Cool. So... The day before she kills baby C by injecting air into his stomach, she's uh, arguing with a colleague about the manager not wanting her to come back into work at the ICU. So the colleague says to Lepi, I agree with her. Don't think it will help. You need a break from full-on ITU. It sounds very odd, and I'll be the complete opposite. Lepi says, I forget I said anything. I'll be fine. It's part of the job. Just don't feel like there is much team spirit tonight. And the conversation keeps going. Six minutes after that conversation starts, Baby C's health starts to go downhill. So this conversation is happening right up to the point where Lepi injects Baby C with oxygen. Right? Mm. So here's what's fucked up about this. As I mentioned, Let B isn't on duty in the ward where Baby C is located, right? Mm. So she actually comes in through the nursery from a different ward mm. and then feeds the air into his stomach. 
which uh, causes the death of Baby C. Baby C dies on the 14th, um, and that's an overnight death. And then the same colleague that Lepi was chatting with the previous night about, hey, maybe you shouldn't be coming in. This is probably a bit soon. Lepi says, sorry if I was off. Just wasn't a great start to shift, but sadly it got worse. X. I was struggling to accept what happened to baby A. Now we've lost baby C overnight. It's all a bit much. X. Uh, And the colleague says, hope you're going to be okay. This isn't like you sending your biggest hugs. XX. I'm saying X because there's something weird about punctuating uh, messages after having murdered somebody with uh, an expression of love. I'll keep reading. Letby then says, I just keep seeing them both. No one should have to see and do the things we do. It's heartbreaking, but it's not about me. We learn to deal with it. Thank you, XXX. There is something emerging here tonally, I think, in terms of the framing of Letby about herself to other people. Mm. It's She's telling other people that it's difficult. Right, which is a kind of smart thing to do, mm. right? She's yep. not, she's she's portraying herself as somebody who is really struggling with these deaths. She's making herself seem brave and saying no one should have to see and do the things we do. It's heartbreaking, but it's not about me. She's making it sound like this is completely out of her hands, mm. right? So in that in these text exchanges so far, it seems to me like she is at once uh, admonishing herself of guilt. Um, making it seem like it's an act of God in some way, and also making herself seem slightly heroic by just kind of soldiering on and getting through it. Uh, and yeah. then, of course, we yeah. Do you agree? Well, yes, but I I find um, her <clears throat> her turn of phrase. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. It, it it actually is all about her, and I think she's um, she's actually saying that she's. It's a weird thing to say. If I had been on shift. If I'd have been working, yeah. if I had been a police officer, and I had been called in at that stage, I would have. I mean, people do react very differently under shock. There's no doubt about that. Right. Okay. But if someone is saying weird things, mm-hmm. like it's not about me, I find that. I just, to me, that's an alarm. That's, unless, that's a red unless, unless the rest of this exchange was, you're a hero, you're amazing, and the response is, it's not about me, right? But it doesn't seem like. Yes. Well, maybe she's a- trying to sort of get, you know, curry favor with her peers. You know, is it about, look, it's, it's fascinating. Let's um, um let's, wow. let's, jump, so, so that, the, that text exchange is on the 14th of June, okay? Mm. So if we jump forward to the 21st of June. I'm going to start with a text exchange uh, to a colleague from Letby. Letby says, we lost baby D. Colleague says, what? Four exclamation marks. But she was improving. What happened? Want to chat? I can't believe you are on again. You're having such a tough time. The exchange carries on. And I'm going to try and read from another text here from Letby to this colleague later in that text exchange. On a day-to-day basis, it's an incredible job with so many positives, but then sometimes I think, how do such sick babies get through and others just die so suddenly and unexpectedly? Guess it's how it's meant to be. I think there is an element of fate involved. There's a reason for everything. So the baby we're talking about, uh, child D is murdered on the 22nd of June. Uh, Again, air is injected into the child's bloodstream. Uh... Three near-death experiences that this child experienced on the early hours of the twenty-second of June, and then on the third time, her uh, her like her um, 
system fails. It's mm-hmm. she's done. Mm-hmm. And then uh, apparently she had a discoloration of of the skin, which obviously happens when you are deprived of oxygen, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the twenty second. Letby kind of continues texting people. She texts one colleague and says, "I can't talk about it now. I can't stop crying. I just need to get it out of my system." <laughs> On the thirtieth of June, thirtieth of June, about nine days later, eight nine days later, someone texts her. One of the nurses texts saying, "There is something odd about that night and the other three that went so suddenly." And then Letby feels obliged to defend herself and says, "Well, baby C was tiny, obviously compromised in utero. Baby D was septic. It's baby A. I can't get my head around." So kind of mixing it up, coming up with an excuse for all three would have looked sus. So she's tried to go... And by the way, this really does speak to somebody who is doing this deliberately, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Thinking th- there is a degree of thought here as far as I'm concerned. Baby E, ugh, it's fucking depressing. We're just going through a list of dead children. This is really terrible. I would like to point out, by the way, 2nd of July. There is a person, Dad, and I'm sure you've come across them in your research. Uh, Dr. Stephen Breary who is the head consultant of the unit that uh, Letby is working in, of the entire neonatal unit, right? So Stephen Breary goes to the um, director of nursing and deputy chief executive, a woman called Alison Kelly, and says, hey, I've looked at all these deaths, and it looks like Lucy Letby was on duty, and was not just on duty, was the only person on duty for each of the deaths, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh so this, so this, by the way, this is going to become very important. 2nd of July, 2015, after three murders and one attempted murder that we know of, mm. right? So, uh, Char- sorry, spoiler alert, Child E has not been murdered yet. And Stephen Breary at this early stage is already flagging it with the head of nursing, mm. right? Yeah. And the deputy chief executive. So I just wanted on record that Stephen Breary was already going, hey... This isn't ideal, mm. and she's there every time this happens. Yes. Based on this particular Dr. Stephen Breary, doctors are generally very, very perceptive. Whilst one can't get into the witness box in the early days and say, it was the vibe, I had a feeling, that that, that will be absolutely crushed in court. They'll squeeze that out of you because it's not right. acceptable. Yeah. However... It's pretty obvious to me that if you're working in a particular environment, police, fire, you know, in a hospital, where it's, it's incredibly, it's, it's intuitive. You know, when police go out on patrol, they are inextricably connected to each other on, on so many levels because they're looking out for themselves and their partner. And when they go into a dangerous situation, they 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 relying that their their senses are, are sort of super heightened. And this particular doctor, believe me, if he's gone and made an approach to a very senior person within the the hospital's um, sort of senior administration, I'm sure that just wasn't on a whim. I think something must have he must have found something very very troubling. In the well, early stages, and and I it find could, it could be that a lot of the text exchanges that were happening with different nurses, it's possible people brought their concerns to him, and he acted the way he was meant to. He went, "Hey, if we look at the full picture and you look at all the facts, it's pretty obvious this needs some sort of investigation." Mm. He wouldn't have done this. I, I agree. He wouldn't have done this flippantly. I agree. I agree. So, on the fourth of August, two thousand and fifteen, yep. mm-hmm. child E one of 
pair of twins. Another set of twins. Yeah. Set of twins. Yeah. So the twins were born seven weeks premature. Okay. And child F. Uh, so child. So it's child E and child F. To the two boys. Mm-hmm. Um, they weighed around about one and a half kilos. And the mother walks in on Letby. And Letby, according to the, the court documents, was trying to murder the newborn. And she was apparently trying to do it with his milk. And um, he died. He had a, um, a fatal bleed, and it was believed to be the result of Letby interfering with his nasogastric tube. So they do talk about the various techniques, methods involved, used by Letby to murder the children. And there was the insulin, there was the air, but there was also force feeding milk into the baby, which is fairly traumatic. In essence, what you're doing is you're basically, well, from a layman's perspective, you seem to be literally trying to drown the baby. But of course, if they do a post-mortem, that would have to be in the back of Letby's mind, even though it wasn't happening at this stage. You know, so what they find some, they find milk. Or, you know, it's so, I'm just trying to think of Letby working, leaning over the baby, coming up with a with a plan mm. and actually putting it into practice but the extreme f- fear of being caught yeah she's actually committing some of those offenses and the mother walks in and but of course yeah, there's, to, an actual, to, there's an interesting quote here from the guardian the jury has been told that child e lost at least a quarter of his total blood volume which was indicative of trauma before he died in August 2015, uh, two months after the alleged murder of three other newborns, the ones we've already gone through right now. Um, So because Letby was on duty, right, and she's the designated nurse, and then the child dies, and I think this is worth addressing, Dad, uh, one of her jobs is to actually take care of the parents if a child passes. Correct. Right? So she has to do things like take the photographs, um, record a, it says here, um, she has to dress and bathe the the dead child. And that gets mm. even grislier when you realize that she's the one who killed the child in question, mm. yeah. right? She has to help do things like get together mementos and create what's called a memory box to give to the parents. Um, oh, fuck. I mean, it's so deeply fucked up. By the way, we've mentioned uh, the blood loss. That is um, because Lepi was messing with the uh, Nastro nasogastric tube she's messing with the the child's equipment but yes dad what 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 does happen the next day Mm -hmm. so she's murdered the first of the twins yes child e and of course when when i referred to the mother walking in whilst Lepi's murdering Mm -hmm. the newborn of course what we're saying is that the mother obviously had no idea we need to sort of clarify that it just turns out when you look back on that case, mm-hmm. the mother walked in and unbeknownst to her, Letby was actually killing her first first twin. 
then the next day, um, what Lepi does is she's the baby's got a feeding bag and she she puts insulin into the child's feeding bag mm-hmm. and then they took a blood sample which confirmed extremely high insulin levels and very low C peptide levels. And that means that is proof that the baby had been injected with insulin, but the baby survived. And some of these babies that survived are now seven and eight years old. And from what I can glean from the research that I've done is that most of the children that survived have got varying degrees, some very severe, mm-hmm. of, um, of um, you know, sort of serious mental illness that the parents will, not only have they had to suffer the trauma of, in some cases, between one surviving, one being murdered, mm-hmm. but the one that survived they now have that lifelong legacy of looking after uh, the surviving twin mm. who... Who is alive, yes. So who the, is alive, the, uh, but he's, mm. he's, he's sort of destined to a lifelong, you know, sort of path of, of severe care. It's sort of, it's so upsetting for the, the families. But Paul, when you were premature and I came into the hospital and Christine... an epidural which means she was conscious and Mm -hmm. I watched you being born which was quite traumatic because you were in a lot of um, Christine had hypoxia and when they pull you out and they do that that I think it's called the APGAR test um, which is out of 10 you got a 3 which Mm -hmm. is a shitty score but I'm thinking you know if some malevolent nurse or doctor had been in the room and, and, and sort of supposedly caring for you and I'm standing there I don't know anything about procedure and obviously as a parent you you are placing your newborn into what you think is the most caring of of medical hands mm-hmm. and there's no way on earth that probably any parent would ever and rightfully so assume that someone in this hospital that is supposed to be looking after your your newborn is actually going to kill them or try to kill them and has killed before. Mm-hmm. Although I guess in this particular case and uh, from a factual perspective, we must say that there is a point in time that we may or may not ever know where there was the first baby. Um, to- yeah, we might actually... I mean, given the way this case is progressing... Because once this guilty verdict was guilty verdict was found out, and we will get to that later on uh, in loose units, once the guilty verdict was found out, it feels like law enforcement went, okay, we need to start going back. But just quickly, Dad, there was... Now, earlier in the uh, episode, I mentioned the fact that um, the, the doctor who basically... Who noticed that Letby was clearly on duty at the time of all of these things happening. So he raised the alarm, right? Now, in the case of the twins... Letby was not the only one on duty. There was another uh, nurse called Belinda Simcock who was also on duty at the time. So during the trial, Letby has basically conceded that 
she's she's agreed that someone must have poisoned the feed bags of the twins with insulin. She's she's accepted that, but um, she's denying that it's her. So uh, the prosecutor um, has said, isn't the reality that unless there's more than one poison, it has to be either you or Belinda Simcock? Let me replied, I can only answer for myself and say that I've never put insulin into any bags. Johnson, the prosecutor said, it was never suggested to be Simcock though, was it? Uh, let me said, I can't answer that. So that was an attempted murder. Mm. It didn't actually, it didn't actually work. Child E murdered, child F attempted murder. This is the 5th of August. Now, the next attempt on a child's life is not until the 7th of September. We will get to that next week. But just quickly, I want that to kind of sit in your head a little bit, folks, because I think it does speak to the fact that this is deliberate. Because if it wasn't, if it was some sort of compulsion or spree, if it truly was accidental or if it was out of her control, then the gaps wouldn't be widening. This is a fear of being caught, as far as I'm concerned. Dad, do you agree with that assertion? Mm. Yeah. Paul, I think you missed your vocation. And what is that? <laughs> Detective or lawyer? <laughs> um, well, I think you would have been good at both. Uh, um, thanks. Because you've got an inquiring mind. And I think after you've sort of been on the case and these cases that we've been following for so many years, I think, it, you know, it's, I guess it's like going to sort of an academy and you know, <laughs> just learning and getting, yeah. and getting, um, getting a feel for, you know, the various... The various types of people that we talk about. Um, mm. this, is, this is a very disturbing case, and it's it almost doesn't seem real. Um, it's fascinating. So let's uh, let's just take a, a well-deserved break. We'll get back to it next week. Obviously, there's a lot more of this case. There's a lot more of this case, folks. It is. It's still going. It's still evolving. We're having real trouble sort of keeping up. Every day there's fresh revelations. And uh, there's really no version of this that is a good outcome. But I'm, I'm really hoping that we, uh, that we find out more information just to help give some parents some closure. What worries me is that some of these um, findings in the court case were inconclusive. The jury couldn't agree whether she murdered these people or not or attempted to murder these people or not. So if you're the parents of one of these children, you're going, well, I, like... I need to know. So certainty for the people whose uh, lives are ruined is very important. Justice is very important. So we're going to keep looking at the case of Lucy Lepi next week. As the story progresses, we're probably going to have to keep extending this one. But next week, we're going to keep looking at the list of victims. We're going to keep looking at what happened. We're going to start looking at what happened as well when the hospital would not listen to the evidence that was screamingly obvious in front of them and the very real consequences of ignoring these updates. But that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Join us next week for our continuation of our look at the case of Lucy Letby, the most prolific child killer in UK history. And later on this week, we'll be back with Loose Ends. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody, and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.